Welcome to Everything is Connected, where we explore the intersections between the world outside us and the worlds within us. I'm your host, Jonathan Blake. All right, I want to say that I am very excited about this episode because I get to spend some time with the person who taught me to touch my toes. Let me explain. Throughout my entire upbringing, I was, well, not the most athletic kid. I still carry some lingering trauma from the gymnastics unit in my sixth grade gym class. Mental trauma. I was convinced that my body did not bend the way our coach was telling it to, and I knew for sure that I was never, ever supposed to be upside down. Anything involving movement, dance, even basic coordination of limbs seemed out of reach for me, so to speak. Later in life, I realized I went to the right college for me when more people were showing up for a cappella concerts than football games. Anyway, after I went to seminary and became a rabbi, I realized that I was frequently feeling sluggish and cranky. I didn't like my skinny body. I wanted muscles. So I did what people do. I joined a gym. I got a trainer, and I started working out. And I really liked the results. I liked how I looked and how I felt. But I was a bit injury-prone, and I ended up in a long stint of physical therapy. At that time, it took a lot of convincing, but my wife, Kelly, kept saying gently and persistently, you know, you really might want to try going to yoga. I think you'll like it. It's good for you. But I was afraid. I was afraid of the seemingly required natural bendiness. I was afraid of the long Sanskrit words and the chanting. I was afraid of being the only guy in the room to some extent. And I was afraid, believe it or not, that practicing yoga might put me in a compromising position, pun intended, with respect to my spiritual identity as a practicing Jew. It turns out I could not have been more wrong about all of these points. With Kelly's encouragement, I dipped my toe in the water. I took a class here or there, usually when I was on vacation or out of town, just so no one would recognize me. And then I started looking online, and I found Tara Stiles, whom Vanity Fair magazine had recently called the coolest yoga instructor ever. So I think this was back in 2009. And since then, Tara has gone on to become an internationally recognized star of the yoga world through her books, her teaching, her media appearances, her tie-ins to international brands like Reebok and W Hotels and Nissan, and most importantly, through her yoga studio, Strala, in Manhattan, which has now expanded to sites all over the world and which has trained over a thousand guides their word for yoga teachers who bring Stiles' methods and philosophy to everyone from experienced practitioners to celebrities like Jane Fonda and Deepak Chopra, both of whom claim Tara Stiles as their personal yoga teacher, to total yoga newbies like I once was. Well, that's a long introduction. Tara, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is uh, really amazing. So Tara, on Everything is Connected, we talk a lot about spirituality and our spiritual formation. Uh, yoga is considered both a physical and a spiritual discipline. What's the connection? Well, I think for me, you know, yoga, I love what you said about it. Everybody is, you know, scared or somebody's had some misconception about yoga here or there. And for me, growing up learning about yoga, I learned that everything was connected. So how I think is how I move and how I move is how I think. And, you know, your body reflects your mind and your mind reflects everything. And there's just so much there to explore. And, uh, you know, for me, yoga is that connection uh, through the process of, of moving in a way that feels good and feels comfortable for myself. And that's always been my goal, how to share yoga in a way that's comfortable for people. Can you point to some of the important places on your spiritual path that led you to be the person and the professional you've become today? 
My goodness. Well, I think I realized this point just a few years ago, but you know, I thought my parents were really boring growing up. You know, I call them straight edge hippies. So they did all of the boring stuff that the hippie generation did, but none of the fun stuff. So they were sober, which I thought was kind of boring. They were always, you know, very responsible. They were teaching us to recycle, to pick up trash and to not be wasteful. Um, They built without any money, this passive solar home. And they were always doing these yoga-like things, telling us to be good people, literally by living by example and not by preaching in any kind of way. And I'm not even sure that they really know how much this impact had on me then or now, but uh, I think through the practice of yoga, I started to put the pieces together and realize that these values of of simply being a good person and trying to do my best in the world was you know, really greatly impacted by, by that moment growing up and all of those collections of moments. So Tara, as your career as a yoga teacher in New York was starting to take off, the New York Times did a big feature on you called Yoga Rebel. I actually know this because I coincidentally happened to be in your class that day. And if you look very closely, you can see me in one of the photos, probably trying to hide behind someone more experienced. Anyway, as a rebel, you have made a consistent case against rules when it comes to how we do yoga and even how we do life. I even detected in your little spiritual autobiography a resistance to preaching, even coming from your parents. More recently, you've coined the motto, make your own rules. So I want to ask you, if we're making our own rules, what principles do we have that can guide us in yoga and in life? Gosh, yeah. Well, when that article came out, uh, you know, the journalist had interviewed me for a while and I thought it was going to be two sentences in the back of the paper. And uh, that was the first time somebody had, besides my parents, called me a rebel. (laughs) And, you know, my mission was always to share yoga in this way where people could be comfortable in being themselves. And, you know, what I was seeing in the yoga studios of the world or the people that I was meeting uh, was a little bit different or it felt different. You know, it felt like you had to be part of somebody else's rules in a way that could be limiting or could be discouraging or um, simply just making you feel bad if you can't touch your toes kind of a thing. And I don't think that that was ever the message of yoga. You know, if you read the yoga books, it says the complete opposite. But the the people of yoga that I was starting to come across in my early days of exploring felt not inclusive in a way. And either you were on their team or you weren't on their team and there was sort of nowhere in between. And you know, in, in the quest of trying to get my friends involved with yoga, they felt exactly like you said, you know, oh, I'm not flexible enough or, you know, I think this conflicts with my spiritual beliefs or, you know, say they were really bought into yoga. They almost had this idea of uh, spiritual materialism or, you know, I'm doing this and all these other people aren't as great as me. So I thought, well, all of this seems so crazy. And my experience of yoga has always been something that's already there. It's almost like a fifth element inside of us. And through this easygoing practice, we can be better and uncover ourselves and become more flexible and become more connected to ourselves and enhance whatever is good about ourselves and start to, you know, shed off uh, the bad habits that aren't working so well. That's always been my mission. And, um, you know, almost being pointed out as a rebel was a little bit scary, but it makes a lot of sense. But uh, rebelling in a way, you know, trying to bring these ideas back to something that is really sustainably within. Before I ever met you, I felt like I knew you through social media. It's fair to say that you owe your success in large measure to your incredible use of social media to promote your message, create community, and make connections. 
I also recall, though, that one of your most famous pieces from a while back was a blog you wrote for the Huffington Post called Help, I'm Addicted to Facebook, which now has well over a million views. I know a lot of people who can relate to that addiction, um, myself very much included. Over the last year, I have found myself withdrawing from the social media sphere because I was finding that it was doing more harm than good in my life. Posting and responding and responding to other people's responses was becoming kind of a major distraction. Do you ever feel that way? It's a tricky one. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I did this project with Deepak Chopra when I first met him, and it was an app for the iPhone, and it's, it's really clunky. I think it still exists, but, um, you know, it, it looks like, you know, something from the 80s at this point, how far technology has come. And we were doing an interview together, and the, the journalist on the news program said, you know, isn't all this technology really bad, and especially for yoga and meditation, you know, what's happening? And he said something really great and really simple. And he said, technology is neutral. It's how we use it. That's important. And I thought, hey, you know, that's that's really important. You know, we can actually choose to be pulled in or swayed in or, or you know, let things get to us or whatever it is. And, you know, I've been on all sides of that washing machine as well. And especially when I first started posting videos, um, I was trying to get my friends involved. So I made, you know, short videos on on YouTube. And this was unheard of at the time. And of course, now there's tons of yoga videos on the internet and lots of instructional content of all sorts. But friends that I knew that were teaching yoga said this was terrible that I was trying to teach yoga in five minutes, for instance, and that was very controversial at the time, or trying to help people with a specific problem like back pain or stress. And again, things that are very normal now that, uh, that seemed very odd at the time or almost um, completely against these uh, rigid ideas of yoga. So I had both sides of the arguments coming at me. People were, were saying, this is terrible what you're doing. I can't believe this. Who do you think you are? And on the other side, oh my goodness, thank you so much. This is helping me a lot. I've never done yoga before. And here I am sitting in my house in Ohio. And now I can do this and I feel really great. So I think for me, it was, you know, and it's, it always is this um, practice of, of paying attention to what's serving and what's helping and, and trying our best not to, you know, get involved in, in all of the mess of everything else. I remember some of those early videos. It was like, okay, so here's yoga on your hotel bed. And here's yoga if the only space you have is a four square feet in an airport lounge. And that was actually really liberating for me because it was like, okay, I don't need to know where the ne nearest studio is. I can log on. And then I realized like, okay, I'm doing this for me and... I'm making my own rules. So I actually was a big fan of those early videos. But again, through my own, more than just dabbling on social media, I've come to recognize that technology is this neutral tool that can be used for good or bad. And it can also be abused. I mean, it can create these communities, but it also seems to bring out the worst in behavior where people feel that they can just troll you or slam you with impunity, even though you've never met them before. They don't really know what's inside of you. So that's one of the things that I think hurt me about my social media use over the last year. It's one of the reasons I've withdrawn, but then again, here I am in a different form of social media, um, still eager to share a message. So, um, Speaking of the other people who are responding and moving with you all over the world, one of the things that I love most about yoga is the way in which it brings people together and can form community, sometimes spontaneous community, or sometimes it's the community of people who are regulars showing up for class at a studio. There we are all in one room together, all breathing and moving, each of course in our own way, 
with our own abilities and limitations, but we're doing it together. So what have you discovered about communities as you've gone all over the world leading and teaching? I think the most profound thing that's, that's hit me within you know, traveling to a lot of different places is everybody is so similar. And when I recognized that, people became less scary and our differences became really exciting. I think one of the most dramatic situations I was in years ago uh, was on the top of this um, helicopter pad leading a group of people and Reebok was putting on this event and a lot of Muslim women showed up and they, um, they had my t-shirt on that said, make your own rules. <laughs> That's amazing. And I thought this was incredible. And not only did they just show up to this event, but they had also been watching these YouTube videos. And I thought, oh, maybe, you know, this brand reached out and, and you know, collected a bunch of people that were in the nearby radius to come to this event. And it turned out that all these people coming had already been interconnected with me through YouTube, but also with each other. And, you know, those comments were these actual people. And to see somebody, you know, on the other side of the world making their own rules and moving in a way that fits in their life and enhances their life and to have a really direct, I guess, deep connection to that person just from, from seeing their t-shirt and this, as silly as that sounds and, and moving in a way that, that feels good, um, to me really just reminded me that we're all just here trying to do our best and there is so much possibility to improve and to support each other and that real sense of coming together in person feels so good and really can be really powerful to you know um, amplify you know our values and things we want to do to help people feel better and and to make change in the world and all these things you know every time I get together in a group whether it's at the studio or somewhere else I just feel possibilities and positivity and you know almost a hopefully responsibility to do something with that. Sometimes I don't know what, I just feel good. But, um, you know, people also leave feeling good. And, and that's, that's a, great, a great start to, I think, doing something better with our lives. So we become the people we are through these experiences that are rewarding. In other words, when we start doing the things that make us feel good and that connect us with other people and build positivity among a community, those behaviors might get reinforced. But I also have come to discover that we are formed as human beings throughout our lives by the hard stuff, by trauma, by loss, sometimes by tragedy. Are there any experiences from your life that have also been formative, but almost like, like in the negative? Gosh, well, I think um, the first thing that came to my mind wasn't anything super profound, but just this idea of being potentially bogged down and stressed by just the sheer amount of information. I think that's something that, you know, we all share with everybody around the world. So, you know, just being on the subway and seeing everybody on their phone now and nobody looking around seems like, you know, although it's not a death in the family or, you know, a specific loss, it feels like this loss of connectivity in a way, but also an opportunity to to be connected through something else. So, you know, like what you were talking about with coming together in person, I feel like is so, so valuable and so needed. Um, I was just in London leading a group and the second day after the first class, a group of the girls were crying and, you know, I came over and 
you know, a part of me didn't want to come over. I didn't want to know what was going on. But they said, you know, they felt so strange about needing to leave this group and needing to go back into their lives that were, you know, maybe feeling more disconnected. And, you know, I can really relate to that on one level, but it also is, you know, heartbreaking on another level that, you know, we all feel so connected, but so disconnected at the same time. And I haven't figured it out. I think none of us has figured it out, but I think it's really, you know, coming back to these in-person experiences and coming back to sharing positivity when it's, you know, when it's involved in technology and social media and these things, you know, I think there's a clue in there because it does feel like a trauma or a loss in a way that we've all kind of collectively, you know, gotten in line to be a part of, you know, uh, voluntarily. Yeah, it's funny (laughs) that through all of the devices and opportunities we now have to connect with other people, I find that the net effect might be one of this disconnection and that certainly our phones have not replaced hardly they have not replaced in any way our need for human community Um, that idea about seeing and feeling in person was reinforced for me about 10 minutes before we started this interview i got to meet tara and her husband mike's six seventh month old baby and uh, i've been following your daughter's journey into this world um, with real interest uh, ever since she arrived and I've done that through social media. But here she was in person and I got to hold her and she's warm and she's curious and she's reaching out for me and it was a whole different experience. So knowing that you're the kind of person who views any other person not only as a potential student or friend but also as a potential teacher, I wanna ask you, what have you learned from your daughter? Oh my goodness. so much. <laughs> and I think as the, as the parenting journey unfolds, it becomes less dramatic day by day, which is great. Um, but I think, you know, in the beginning, presence was huge, you know, and I took, quote unquote, time off work in a way. But, you know, in a way, I was still connecting. And she could feel, even though she was a tiny little human, when I was distracted or when I was not even on my phone, but just thinking about something else. And, I really was reminded that that idea of connection is it's felt and um, you know it really it really started to make me much more aware of if the person you're talking to is distracted from social media or from whatever is else whatever else is happening or just thinking about the next thing um, you know it, it really was a wake-up call for myself to to be in the moment and um, I think we're so used to being in the moment and also sharing the moment at the same time yeah, it's really you know, hard. And she's so great in the beginning, and I wanted to share with everybody how great she was and how amazing these moments were. And the, the more time goes on with her, the less I'm actually sharing on social media with her. And I'm thinking about that more and more, how to be in the world in a meaningful way and stay connected through through social media in a way that is healthy and beneficial, but not to be in the moment and share the moment at the same time, because I think that that's completely it doesn't work. (laughs) That's right. I often, when I do weddings, there has been a tendency now in the advent of the iPhone where you're, everybody's carrying a video camera or a still camera with them at every minute of the day. So I go to weddings and I see that people are literally sitting with their eyes glued to their screens instead of watching this couple whom they love get married. And so I usually start the ceremony after my welcome with like a word where I ask the bride and groom to face the congregation and I give them a moment to snap their picture and hashtag it. And then the line that I 
borrowed from one of my spiritual teachers, Rabbi Leslie Gutterman, is, and now just spend 20 minutes capturing what we have here with the lens of the heart. Because you really can't do both at the same time. You can't be capturing something with a camera lens and with the heart lens at the same time. You do At some point, I think you do have to choose. Tell us what's next for you. Hopefully a lot of capturing with the heart lens. I love that. <laughs> You're the best. Thank um, you. Gosh, that's amazing. But, uh, but what's next is... You know, we're here. We just moved to Brooklyn, so that's exciting. We're Brooklyn people now. I should say, yeah, <laughs> I've actually been invited into Tara and Mike's home. Uh, so this is my first off-site recording. We've set up a little mobile studio outside my office. So thank you for the warm welcome here. Well, thank you so much for coming to Brooklyn all the way. Yep. And, welcome uh, to your new house. Yeah, we're excited. Uh, so we have more space, which is great. Daisy can run around. She has her own room. She didn't have her own room in the city. Uh, but we're traveling a lot with her, which is which is exciting. You know, I feel... Uh, I think at the same time, guilty and excited <laughs> for her and for us. Uh, you know, she's uh, experiencing a little bit of jet lag, so I feel I feel bad, like I'm doing something, you know, bad for her. But at the same time, she's she's having everything that hopefully will be fueling her in a way that that teaches her about the world and about how good people are and and her potential. You know, she's meeting a lot of really nice people from around the world and and all of that. So we're headed to Amsterdam next and back to London and then Berlin and, you know, just, she's a frequent flyer, you know. It's awesome. <laughs> she have like medallion status already. That's fantastic. I want to thank you for being on my show. And I knew this would be a fantastic interview. Of course, you didn't disappoint. You were awesome as predicted. And I especially want to thank you for making yoga accessible to me and to our listeners. You've made an extraordinary difference for countless people. I can tell you from personal experience. So thank you. Thank you, Rabbi Blake. You're the best. That's it for today. You can pick up the next episode of Everything is Connected wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Also, check out our website, connectedcast.com, for more information about today's guest and upcoming episodes. And be sure to subscribe so you'll always be informed about our updates. Our title music is Down in the River to Pray, as recorded by the Pete Malinverney Trio. Stay connected, everyone. Stay connected, everyone.